0: Welcome to the nuts and bolts of the first exit tools and how they affect the money market rates so far. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, you'll be asked to press star 1 on your touch-tone phone. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded December the 18th. I'd now like to turn the conference over to your hosts, Stephen Friedman and Rena Walsh. Please go ahead.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us today for a brief discussion on the Federal Reserve's tools for lifting interest rates and how markets are adjusting so far to the use of these tools. My name is Steve Friedman, and I'm joined by my colleague, Rena Walsh, head of money markets at Fisher, Francis, Trees & Watts. We decided to host this brief call given the number of questions we have received on just how does the Fed go about raising rates as a practical matter. So I'll spend five to ten minutes discussing why exactly this tightening cycle requires new tools for implementing policy decisions of the FOMC, Rena will then spend 5 to 10 minutes sharing her observations on how many markets have reacted so far to the Fed's efforts to raise rates. That should leave plenty of time for questions on this rather technical topic. Of course, we are also happy to take questions on the FOMC's recent, recent decision to raise rates and on the outlook for policy. So first, turning to the committee's new framework for raising rates. An important starting point is to recall that the FOMC implements policy by targeting a market rate, the federal funds rate. This is a somewhat unique operating framework. Many other central banks implement policy by moving one or more administered rates, that is, rates that the central bank directly controls. A clear example would be the ECB's deposit rate and main refinancing rate. The ECB directly controls these rates. So what is this market rate, the federal funds rate? Well, simply, it is the overnight rate at which banks and others trade their cash balances that are held at the Fed. This rate can move throughout the day, and each morning the New York Fed publishes what it calls the daily effective Fed funds rate. The daily effective reflects the rate at which transactions in the Fed funds market were conducted the prior day, on average. It is is this rate, the daily effective, that the committee now seeks to keep within a range between 25 and 50 basis points. Prior to the crisis, the FOMC would target a a specific level of the federal funds rate, not a range. The trading desk at the New York Fed had a great deal of success in, in implementing the FOMC's directive to target a specific Fed funds rate, It would simply fine-tune the supply of reserves in the market to keep the daily effective close to the FOMC's target. As an example of this success, in 2004, when the Fed last started a tightening cycle, the average daily deviation of the effective Fed funds rate from the target rate was less than three basis points. So what has changed? Well, as a result of multiple rounds of quantitative easing, the supply of reserves has increased exponentially. With liquidity so high, it is much more difficult to fine-tune the supply of reserves and achieve a specific level of the Fed funds rate. As a result, Fed funds and other money market rates have a tendency to trade very soft and close to zero. Now, in theory, even with excess reserves in the system, the Fed has a powerful tool for putting a floor under the Fed funds rate. This tool is the rate of interest on excess reserves, often referred to by the acronym IOER. IOER is the rate paid to depository institutions for their excess reserves that are held at Federal Reserve Banks. In recent years, banks could hold excess funds at the Fed and earn 25 basis points. So why would the Fed funds rate ever trade below 25 basis points? If it did, banks should borrow in the Fed funds market below the IOER rate, leave the funds at the Fed, and earn the spread. (coughs) This arbitrage opportunity should, in theory, drive the Fed funds rate up to the IOER rate. But practice turned out to be quite different from theory. In practice, IOER was a very ineffective floor for keeping the Fed funds rate at 25 basis points or higher. This is because banks faced regulatory constraints that prevented them from fully arbitraging the spread between the Fed funds rate and IOER. In addition, the GSEs, the government-sponsored enterprises, and money funds cannot earn the IOER rate from the Fed, so they will bid for funds in the market at low levels, which tends to depress the Fed funds rate. So in practice, the Fed funds rate traded well below IOER in the, in the post-crisis years. To regain control over the Fed funds rate, the Fed created a second tool, reverse repo operations, uh, often, which often goes by the acronym RRP. The RRP operations are largely aimed at the money funds and GSEs. In the RRP operations, the Fed borrows money from the market on an overnight basis, and it uses its portfolio of treasury securities as collateral. The primary idea is to to provide an attractive lending opportunity to GSEs and money market funds who do not have access to earn the IOER rate. If a portion of GSE and money fund lending is diverted to the RRP operations, it should lift other money market rates up to the RRP rate. The Fed has lined up well over 150 counterparties for its daily RRP operations, and most of these are money funds. And evidence during their testing period uh, gives the Fed confidence that, indeed, the RRP rate will serve as a floor on other market rates. So during the the, the testing phase, the market overnight repo rate uh, tended to trade uh, a little bit above uh, the RRP rate in the operations. So the Fed has given quite a bit of thought uh, to where to set the RRP and IOER rates as it begins to tighten policy. It has settled on a system in, in which it will set the RRP rate at the bottom of the FOMC's target range for the Fed funds rate, 25 basis points and the IOER rate will be set at the top of the range, 50 basis points. Now, we should keep in mind that the FOMC can move the RRP and IOER rates to different levels if it is having difficulty keeping the daily effective Fed funds rate within the 25 basis point range. For example, if the daily effective Fed funds rate is trading persistently soft, let's say at uh, 20 basis points, the FOMC could direct the New York Fed to raise the rate in the RRP operations to, say, 30 basis points. This would really just be a technical adjustment. It would not signal any change in monetary policy, since the target Fed funds rate would still remain uh, at a range of 25 to 50 basis points. So in summary, the key points I would make are as follows. One, the committee targets a market rate, the Fed funds rate, which attracts through a reference rate calculated by the New York Fed. This reference rate is the daily effective Fed funds rate. Two, IOER has proven to be a very leaky floor for the Fed's, Fed funds rate, since many – money market participants cannot earn IOER. Three, as a result, the FOMC essentially has established a dual floor system. It will use another tool, the RRP, to draw cash from money market funds and GSEs that would otherwise suppress the Fed funds rate. Conceptually, IOER and RRP are very similar, but where IOER offers a return on cash to banks, RRP operations are aimed primarily at the shadow banking system. Four, to keep the daily effective funds rate within the 25 to 50 basis point range, the RRP rate will be set at the bottom of the range, and IOER will sit at the top of the range. Five, the Fed can move the RRP and IOER rates to different levels if it is having difficulty keeping the daily effective Fed funds rate within a 25 basis point range. And this brings me to my sixth and final point. The Fed is going to have to learn by doing. This is really a new operating framework for the Fed, brought about by a unique situation of attempting to raise rates when the system is awash in liquidity. So we should really expect a number of adjustments to the use of these tools over time. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Rena, who will discuss how the use of these tools has progressed so far.
2: Okay, thanks, Dave. Um, Yep, so the first Fed fund rate since 2006 went off pretty smoothly. Uh, The Fed Effective that you were talking about came in uh, right in the middle of its target of the 25 to 50 base point range at 37 yesterday for the first day. Um, and that's up from 15 basis points the day before. Um, so, you know, getting us to this point uh, was a lengthy process. It was well orchestrated. It was well tested by the Fed and telegraphed to the markets. Um, so, overall, I'd have to say that that the Fed should be very pleased with with how um, the markets have responded to this first move. Um, in anticipation of the uh, rate increase in and just in case volatility would spark a flight to quality, the Fed um, increased its overnight RRP, um, like you said, that main tool for soaking up cash for money funds, um, from a cap of $300 billion uh, per day, which was uh, the level for most of last year during the testing phase, um, to essentially a full allotment of up to $2 trillion of their Treasury portfolio. Um The 2 trillion was a surprise to the market because the expectation was that they would potentially double it to 600 billion. Uh, Some had even said maybe get up to 750 billion. Clearly, with it being so much larger, the Fed wanted to emphatically establish the floor with its 25 base point uh, RRP rate. Um, Another uh, feature was that they kept the per counterparty limit at 30 billion um, per counterparty. Now uh of the hundred and fifty or so of the money funds that that there's only about twenty money market funds with assets greater than thirty billion. Um and if you combine all the assets of the money funds that are in the program, uh the money fund counterparties total one point two trillion. So having two trillion of available assets, you know, would include the amount that that's available to the GSEs and other dealers too. Um so what happened with that first move yesterday. And how much of the two trillion do we use? Uh, yesterday was 105 billion, um, which was in uh, 49 counterparties, um, which is very similar to the previous day at 102 billion and 95 billion the day before that. So um, it was smooth sailing; everything everything went uh, without a hitch. Um, what are the reasons for that? Um, money market funds uh, in had already invested uh, well into, over year-end and into 2016. Uh, For example, back in mid-November, several banks had increased the rates that they would pay to get funding into early and mid-January to around 40 basis points, and that was attracted to funds, given that the new range was going to be 25 to 50, so you could go ahead and get paid 40 while they were still in the range of 0 to 25. It seemed like a good trade to do. Um, So... For the banks that got them to fund over year end and for the money funds, they got a great rate. Um, Additionally, yesterday, other products were cheaper than the 25 basis point rate that was offered on the RRP. Uh, For example, TriParty was around 27 basis points and overnight time deposits were around 35 basis points. So given other options, uh, money market funds weren't forced to go to the Fed's RRP at the 25 basis point rate. Uh, Going forward, the expectation is that there will be a gradual uptake in the amount of RRP that's being done, um, particularly over into January, where money funds will going to have so much maturing uh, based on what they've done already, that it could rise to over a trillion dollars of RRP being used in the early weeks in January. So that will be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, additionally, the Fed announced some term RRP operations. Uh, they've been doing these over quarter ends now for the, the last several quarters. Uh, they announced an additional $300 billion of term that uh, are all offered at the same 25 basis point rate. Uh, in previous quarter ends, they would give you an additional the, – the, the rate used to be at five, and they would offer the term at, say, seven basis points. Uh, so this is definitely a little bit different. Uh, to offer at, uh, at the same rate. So it'll be interesting how much gets taken. Uh, $300 billion in three different term uh, auctions that will be maturing on January 4th and 5th. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how much this is taken in uh, in addition to the ability to take up to $2 trillion in the RRP. Uh, actual repo rates uh, in the marketplace, away from the Fed, have been rising since mid-November. Um, back in mid-November, triparty was around eight basis points. In the days just before the Fed moved, it was 12 to 15, maybe 18. Um, and yesterday, we saw some trading around 27 or 28 basis points. Um, what's written up most in the in articles and things like that is that GC collateral is the the way the rates that collateral trades between uh, dealers. And that rate was trading around 15 basis points in mid-November. Uh, prefed had moved up to around 25 basis points, and yesterday was trading at 45. Um, money market funds typically are using triparty um, in, in their repo, so you can see the difference between those rates. Um, also, just uh, to keep track of it, we've seen term trading over year in and into January trading around 50 80. So you can see uh, how much is, is being paid. Uh, for getting over the turn. One of the other unique things that has happened um, with all that's going on is is in the CP markets. Uh, Currently, we have the cash markets that are trading higher than LIBOR rates um, for several reasons. Uh, The the uncertainty around the December Fed move was complicating things prior to the move. Uh, Then you have issuers that are trying to get their year-end funding in, and then on top of that, we have what everybody's heard about with several of the money market funds converting from prime to government has taking out some of the demand for um, financial and bank uh, issuance. So all of those things together uh, has put supply-demand dynamics into flux. Um, issuers have been, that needed to lock in funding have been willing to pay up just to get done. Uh, LIBOR ticks higher, but actual CP funding can gap as much as five basis points in a day when individual issuers need to get done in the term that they want. So um, CP rates just since early December have risen 15 to 20 basis points in the whole curve from one to six months, uh, while LIBOR rates have only risen about 12 to 16 during the same period. Um, and just an example from today that shows that this is still going on, uh, Three-month LIBOR uh, is at 58.5, and, and we've seen solid A1-plus issuers show three months at 65. So that's just an example of the distortion in the CC markets right now, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, also, uh, one of the interesting things from the Treasury perspective is that, uh, you know, going back into November, the Treasury uh, issued uh, size of new supply, over 200 billion of new supply. Treasury bill rates cheapened up considerably 10 to 20 basis points over the month. They hit their high last week with the uncertainty with the Fed. Three-month bills at auction were at a 28. Six-month bills were at 53, and one year were traded uh, in the auction at a 74. Uh, bills have actually done better uh, after those auctions and with the certainty of the Fed and knowing what's going on and have dropped back down five, six, or seven basis points. So, uh, bill rates are actually slightly lower, but, um, it's a nice positive curve. There's attractive yields to lock in, um, and they seem to be pricing in a, a slow and steady Fed, Fed move. So, uh, treasury bills are a nice alternative right now. They've been not too attractive for quite a while. So, you know, in a high-level summary, we still have the usual December. We've got holidays, thin trading, um, year-end technicals to deal with. But overall, from just the perspective of the Fed, um, we're pleased with, with the market reaction, happy that it was smooth, um, and I think it, it's what the Fed was, was hoping for. Um, so it was,
1: it was good. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think investors were carefully watching to see if, excuse me, if the RRP rate would, would serve as a floor under market repo rates after liftoff and if the Fed funds rate would move up into the, into the new range. And the early returns uh, are certainly positive, And also there's the fact that it has gone uh, very smoothly in terms yeah. of, of, uh, of not being destabilizing for markets. So uh, the early returns are strong. So with that, that wraps up our prepared remarks. And we're happy to address any uh, comments or questions from our audience.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question on today's call, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. If you wish to withdraw your question, please press star 1 again. Questions will be taken in the order received. Please be reminded oh, one you're 1 that 1 on your in. phone.
2: Do we get a question? No telephone questions yet. No? I had one that – Okay. I had one that came in just before the call that I, I didn't uh, have time to put much prepared remarks against, but it was about uh, the dots and the anticipation for Fred in the future. Um, I think that the uh, the money market curve and, and most of the uh, market uh, pricing – is not as aggressive as the Fed has in its dots with projected four moves for next year. So, uh, from our perspective, when when we look at what the market is pricing in versus what the Fed is saying they're doing, um, we're preferring to stick with um, uh, floating rate notes for anything that's beyond three months in maturity. just in case the market has gotten it wrong, kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, plenty of liquidity. Uh, we're getting paid the new higher rates for overnight, so that helps a lot. And then when we look out the curve, um, we think that the six-month uh, LIBOR floaters uh, that have cheapened up in the range of one-month LIBOR plus 30 to even 40 for for some names is is very attractive, and we would prefer to to lock in anything longer. Uh, with a floating rate note. Uh, so that's just one way to play the uncertainty and whether who's right here is the Fed right or is the market right. We'll just hedge our bets a little bit and use some floaters. Um, I don't know if you have any perspective on, on the dots and where rates. Right. Uh,
1: um, yeah, th- I, I'm also struck by the fact that the, the market seems to be underestimating uh, the potential for uh, for rate increases next year, uh, particularly if we start to see CPI um, Another inflation measure is moving higher early, earlier in the year. Certainly, my base case is that uh, we could see another rate increase uh, at, at the March March meeting. Yeah. I, I think markets are still uh, underpricing that risk. Uh, operator, uh, uh, one final check for questions from from the audience.
0: We have no questions coming through on the audio.
1: Okay, great. Well, then I, I think we can wrap up the call, and I, I thank everybody for for dialing in and participating.
0: Thank you. Please note that today's call will soon be available on replay. Many thanks for joining.